And we are over in the book of Revelation here tonight, picking up with church number two, and this would be the church of Smyrna. This is also known as the persecuted church. If you're up on Facebook today, I put one of the cooler pictures of Smyrna up there. Anybody see that one? All right. If you didn't see, uh, if you don't have, like they said, we don't have a membership on Facebook, just go to the church webpage. The Facebook page there will show it to you. And uh, I, f- I found a whole lot of really neat, cool, re- really cool pictures of the, of the place. But I just put one up there. And if people like that, I can take some of those and you can kind of have a visual image of Smyrna. Uh, there was some pictures of the amphitheater that was there, which was extremely large and now is more desolate than most of the other ones that are out there. But... I just, I, I like looking at some of that old, old stuff. Uh, but what was the picture that we put up there was of the marketplace that uh, used to be there. If you can picture tables or whatever it is they set up, the carts, selling stuff. But this is going to Smyrna. This is known as the persecuted church. And in ch- uh, chapter 2 and verse 8, unto the angel, or the messenger of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Well, of course, we know who the first and the last was. Jesus Christ, who was dead and came to life. The word there, who was dead, the word there was, is from the Greek word ginomai. It means to be, to come into being, to be made, basically to become. <coughs> something that is becoming or something that became dead in this case. Something that is becoming or, as in this case, something that became dead. So when he says the first and the last who was dead, he said who became dead is what he's saying about it in there. But, and came to life, is alive basically. Who was, who, who became dead, but is alive. So there was a becoming to the deadness, but is alive is how he puts it there. So this is the one who, who writes this. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Now, there's a reason why he introduces himself this way to this particular church, because this church, as we said, is the persecuted church. It is an extremely persecuted church. We're going to get into some of the things, what they were, what's going on there. But what he is telling them here is there is a promise of an afterlife. You can become dead, but you will be alive. <laughs> just as Christ became dead, but is alive, the same thing holds for you guys. So just hold, hold on. Even if you become dead like I did, you will be made alive. So it's kind of a promise there for them. Aren't you, aren't you glad that God gives us the promises this, that we need? You have a persecuted church there. They don't necessarily need promises of, <clears throat> even though they're good promises, they don't necessarily need promises of, of healing at this point. They don't need promises of prosperity. How uh, God wants to bring them into blessings and abundance and things like that. They, they're facing death. They're facing some severe things. And so he gives them a promise that's along those lines. The one who died and came to life again before you is the one who speaks these things to you, is what he's basically saying here. I'm the one who was alive, became dead, and is alive now. I'm the one who is speaking these things to you. So he identifies himself in language that the messenger needs to hear. And that the the church needs to hear. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, 
but are a synagogue of Satan. Whole lot of stuff into these couple of verse, a couple of words here. But we, I know your work. Same thing he had said to the previous church. Again, no is oida. That is, he had an absolute knowledge of the thing. He walked among them. He was there. He saw what was going on. Works, again, is a generic word for works. Nothing in particular, just all the different things that you've been doing. I've been watching it. I know your works. He also says this, I know your tribulation. I may feel like sometimes you're going through tribulation, nobody knows. Is that song? Nobody knows. <laughs> no. Nobody knows. Yeah. Well, Jesus is saying, I know. I've been there. I've been walking around. I've been seeing. I know your tribulation. I'll tell you what, just to know that, that God knows what we're going through, because sometimes we get the idea that God's not aware. God doesn't know what's happening to me. I'm, I'm just kind of insignificant and not real important in the whole scheme of things, and I just don't think God really knows what's going on. Now, the word there for tribulation comes from the Greek word, which means pressure, affliction, anguish, burdened, persecution, tribulation, or trouble. It describes a high-pressure situation. John used this earlier in verse uh, 9 of chapter 1. We went over this a bit there. But it is talking about a pressurized situation. You are feeling under pressure. I think the example we gave before was a person laying on the ground and a big boulder on top of them. Uh, pressure. Uh, there's just no place to go. And this, this uh, tribulation is exerting a lot of pressure on you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble. Same word. We don't want you to be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. So when he brings this word in to describe the tribulation that he was facing, Paul, who we would consider to be pretty strong, who had good reason to carry on the work of God and to face persecution, he saw Christ. He had an appearance. He was called up into heaven and given the revelation that of, of the church age and came down here to minister to it to people. He saw this firsthand and he said the tribulation that we were in, he used this word to describe it and said it was so great that our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. That's got to be some kind of work. You take a guy like Paul, I mean, this is the guy who's, he, he's ready to go through some stuff, and he says, we despaired of life. Uh, you, how many of y'all know, we're not getting the full story of what they went through. We'll have to wait for a heaven, I guess, to, to find out what all will happen with that. But that's the word that he uses here. This is the kind of stuff that they're going through. Smyrna is undergoing tremendous pressure. Such pressure, a word that was used here to describe their pressure was used of Paul, and Paul said he despaired of life himself. In fact, the company that was with him despaired of life. And that's what Smyrna's going, going under. So what is it exactly that they're facing? He says, not only do I know your, your, your tribulation, he says, I know your poverty. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. Now, we pulled out vines here for you before, and if you had a vines at home and you pulled it out, if you would have gone to, you had to go to a derivative of the word poverty. That's the word that's in the King James, poverty. But if you went to the word poor, 
and you looked it up in the vines, you would find several words, I think three or four words for poverty or for poor. The one that is not used here will tell you quite a bit. The one that is used will then tell you a lot more. When we have poor people, we describe poor people as poor. They're poor. Poor people to us could mean all kinds of stuff. And we, just like rich, rich people can mean all kinds of things. Because, uh, you know, for, for a while, rich people meant anyone making over a million dollars. And then the rich became poor. And the rich became anyone making over $400,000. And then the rich became anyone working, uh, making over $250,000. Pretty, pretty soon, the rich are going to be pretty poor. They keep uh, moving on their way on down. Then the, the poor describe all... But you go out there and take a look at the poor that we call the poor. They've got giant screen TVs. They've got phones. They've got cell phones. They have cars. They have houses. They have food. They have steak in the refrigerator. You go follow them into the store, and they're buying shrimp and uh, London broil and also... With your, with your food stamps and such things like that. But, but um, you know, this, this is what we call the poor. Now, I know we have other poor in this country that uh, are, are worse off than that. But we use this word poor to describe an awful lot of people. But in the Greek, it has very descriptive, very descriptive things. The word here that is not used is the word penes, which is one who works for enough to get him by today. You go to work, you earn some money, and you earn the money that you need to get by today to pay the rent on the house, to pay for the food, to pay for the gas in the car. When it's all done at the day, you have enough to pay for everything, but you don't have anything extra. You're just getting by, paying the rent, paying the, the gas, paying the car, paying for the, the food, whatever else comes up, insurances. You're, you're, you're going to work every day, and you're just pulling enough in to make ends meet. That's this word. And he didn't use that word. That's not the word that he chose to use. He could have used that word if he wanted to because he had all that word in there. But he didn't use that word. This is the word that he used. He used the word that means to be poor as a beggar, to be destitute. In other words, you don't have a job. You, you have no job. You can't go to work. You're not bringing home enough money to pay for the stuff at the end of the day. You're begging for whatever you can get. But whatever you get, it's not enough to get you by. You are destitute. This is the word he uses. It is used in 2 Corinthians verse 8 or verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became not penace, no, poor as a beggar. Poor as he became poor as a, he became destitute for your sakes, is what the word says. Very seldom do you see these two words used together to describe the same thing. But here you got two verses. We're going to see them both. He became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, the word there for rich is the exact same word that is used in Revelation. It's the same word that he uses for rich here. I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. In this life, you are destitute. You are without enough to get by. You are a beggar. You have no job. But, he says, you are rich. This word here for rich means wealthy, abounding with 
I put in parentheses, it's not in the actual definition, stinking rich. Stinking rich, filthy rich. We would use those kind of things to describe. I mean, just money all over the place. Yeah, it's when you walk into a store and you don't look at price tags. Right? When was the last time we did that? I walk into a store, I'm looking at the price tags. <laughs> How much is that sucker? <laughs> we don't want to spend all that much money on, on, the, on these things here. You know, it's... Uh, because some stores think an awful lot of their, of their merchandise. More so than, than the, the rest of us might. One who is excessively rich. Excessively rich. That's what this word is, is used for. We get some English words out of that too that, that uh, talk about excessive rich. But we're talking about a group of people here. He says, I know that you're poor. I know, that, I know your poverty. I know that you are basically destitute, that you are a beggar, but in actuality, you are rich. That's what he says to him. Now, he used this particular word for poor because they had no jobs. These folks were being persecuted by the Jews and by the Gentiles. They were lied about. They were being mischaracterized. And the people believed the lies about these people and fired them from their jobs. If they were Jewish employers, the Jewish employers fire, fired the Christian workers. If they were Gentile, they fired the Christian workers. They were without a job and couldn't get a new one because they were Christians. We're going to get into what they were doing about that in just a little bit here. But take a look at this word here, rich. Got three verses for you. James chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? One more, first, or two more. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 and 18. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to, to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So in Colossians we see that the word of God will dwell in you richly. In Timothy we see, let them do good that be rich in good works. That they be rich in good works. He wants you not only to be rich in money. He's talking about the people that are rich in money. But he says, let you folks that are rich in money do good and be rich in good works. So Timothy's about good works. Colossians is about the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And James is about faith. Put it together. These three things will make you, uh, three things that will make you rich. The operation of faith, good works, and the indwelling word of God are three things that will make you rich. Focus in on those things. Now he goes on to say here, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. I know the blasphemy. Now a lot of times we think blasphemy, we think blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we have kind of a characterization of, of what that word means, but blasphemy means evil speaking and railing. To speak abusively against someone. The word blasphemy, when it gets involved, is generally speaking of some type of abuse. There is abuse involved. 
evil speaking and railing. In the city of Smyrna, the Christians were being persecuted. They were being blasphemed. They were being evil spoken about in three areas. The first one, believe it or not, the Christian church was called cannibals. Well, they had in these things, they had the, uh, uh, the, last, they had the last supper they did, remember? The Lord's table, and, and they, they had the uh, love feast and things that they would, they, different names they would go by. But when they had that, uh, people around the city would begin to say, well, you know who the founder of that sect of the Jews? Do you know what he taught? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And this feast that they do is all about that mm-hmm. teaching that he did. And so the, ta- the teaching came out that Christians were cannibals. That in these meetings, in these times when they had this remembrance, that they were eating flesh and drinking blood. And this is what was going around in the, the city. Now it's far-fetched, that's ridiculous, but people believed it. Second thing that they were being told about them was that they had orgies because one of the things they called these things was a love fest. They were talking about the love of Jesus Christ. They were talking about the love of God. But the pagan world understood love in a different way. And they knew how their temples went on and how, how things like that went on. And so they saw the Christian church as uh, having orgies going on. And so they saw it as, as that way. Uh, so this was the second thing that was being done. They also saw them as rebels. They saw them as rebels because they spoke of having another king. They spoke of waiting for a coming kingdom. And they refused to call Caesar Lord. So they saw them as rebels. They saw them as rebels against the kingdom. And because of this, the attitudes of those in the city were against them. The attitudes of the Jews and the attitudes of the Gentiles. The Romans allowed religious freedom in their, in their um, kingdom pretty much most of the time until shortly after the Christian church came around. And for a while, the Christian church was protected because they were seen as a sect of the Jews and the, Jews was, the Jewish religion was an approved religion. And, and so they had protection under that. They could certainly go around and, and do that. And the Romans were not about out, outlawing any, any type of religion unless they saw it as threatening Rome. Well, the Christian church eventually became a threat to Rome because of their talk of a king coming and a kingdom and because they refused to see Caesar as God. Because as time went on, we had, the, you know, Nero was one of the, the first ones, and he, he saw himself as God and wanted worship. And there were other ones also after that who wanted worship. And they refused to do that. They would not do so. Some other ones would go ahead and give in, but uh, the Christians would not do it. Jesus is our Lord, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't give in on those things. And so they saw them as cannibals. They saw them as having orgies. And they saw them as rebels. And uh, they were, became, became outcasts of society. And so these kind of things were going on and being spoken about, not only by the Gentiles, but by the Jews. The Jews were one of the, the foremost in this. Now look again what he says in this. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. They were born Jews. But what did Jesus say about Jewish people. You think just because you're born of Abraham? <laughs> no. He says, I can raise up descendants of Abraham from these stones. That's no big deal. No, he, he wanted something more. He wanted them to become Abraham 
uh, descendants by faith and not just by birth. But they saw themselves as being by birth and that was it. Those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, he puts it here. When the Jews got together, they called the get their little get-togethers here the Assembly of the Lord. Whenever they got together, they called it the Assembly of the Lord. What the Lord is saying is, that's not the Assembly of the Lord. That is a synagogue of Satan. Now, if you go back to the book of Acts, and you look at how the Jews responded to the church, and you can kind of see what he's talking about. When uh, Peter and John had that healing going on at the gate, how did the Jews receive him? When Paul would go out and the, and the Judaizers would follow him into the city and they would stir up riots and they'd get the whole city worked up, that was the Jewish people that did it. It wasn't anyone else, it was the Jewish people. When Paul would leave a city, who was it that came in to try and subvert the things that Paul taught? It wasn't the Gentiles, it wasn't the Romans, it was the Jews. He says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. There are people who will say that they're on the, the Lord's side, but they are not on the Lord's side. Now, if you looked at the Facebook post today, I said that there's a whole lot of similarities going on between what happened here in Smyrna and what happens today. I brought my phone over. I don't usually bring it over. But I brought it over because I wanted to read you just some of the headlines today. I'm not going back a week. I'm pulling the headlines today. Okay? This is an actual salon headline. I still hope the bomber is a white American. Yeah. Yeah. You see, if it's a white American, then they don't have to defend all the different things that they would, because the, they're always defending the Muslims and so forth. The, the, the person they had in custody was, uh, they, they just said as a person of interest, they didn't say they were guilty or anything like that, and the media surrounded him with a curtain. Did you hear about, did you see all that? Making sure that he's not a suspect, he's not, they're not saying that he did anything at all. Do you remember back when they had the shooting in Colorado in the movie theater, and they got news of his name, and the news reporter found someone in the city somewhere in the city area who had the same name and comes out on the news and says, well, we don't know if it's the same person, but there is a person that gave the guy's name and they said he's a tea party guy. Do you remember that one? I remember that. They blasted him all over and then he was at work and he got news from people. Do you know you're on the news? They, they're saying that you were the shooter. <laughs> and he wasn't, he was at work. But that's how irresponsible they are. They, once they see that it can be... Now, see, they're, they're, they're trying to tie two groups together. They're trying hard to tie two groups together in this country. The right wing and Christians. Right or wrong, it doesn't make any difference. This is, what the, this is the two groups they're trying to tie together. Look at some of these other ones. That's just one. I'm scrolling on down here to, to pull them out. Um, hang on a minute. There we go. Lefty admits... Bombing doesn't fit the right-wing mindset. You know why? Uh, it's, you're going to be uh, shocked to this one. He said, frankly, the source is unexpected. Is unexpected. The far left 
Oh, where does he put this thing? It's not in this. This. Hang on. Let me get it on further down. It'll have this. Uh, it'll have. It's, it was amazing. The reason I almost fell on the floor myself. Yeah, that's another one. But it just. I won't read that one. So many Margaret Thatcher things in there too. They're slamming her from all over the place. Um, yeah, it was too far. Hang on just a minute. There's another one. Let's hope them. He's a white American. Um, MSNBC brings on Harvard professor to speculate far right might be responsible for the Boston attack. Speculate. That's all that it is. They don't ever speculate that it's the left. That's the right. Because it was tax day. Right? And then he even brought out another one of the other articles brought it out because um, remember the guy who blew up the uh, federal building? Oklahoma City? Yeah, Timothy McVeigh. Uh, they said, well, it's the same day as Timothy McVeigh, and they called it Patriots Day, but it's not. Timothy McVeigh was April the 19th, not the 15th, because they didn't get their facts. It doesn't matter if they get their facts right. All they, all they got to do is throw it out there. Uh, yeah, here it is. CNN guest, Boston bomber, likely not radical right, target wasn't blacks, Jews, gays, or Muslim. The CNN guest uh, they brought in for the ex an expert. The Boston bomber likely not from the radical right because the target wasn't blacks, Jews, gays, or Muslims. Uh, I'll read just uh, I can tell you a couple others. Barney Frank, thank God he's been out of the news for a long time. I have a real hard time with, with him, but he came on in and he was asked about this thing. And do you know he took the opportunity to say that it's a good thing we had a well-funded government? That uh, no uh, tax cuts would not have helped this whole situation. That because we had a well-funded government, things went well. Of course, a well-funded government had nothing to do with the doctors who were there, had nothing to do with the first responders who were there, had nothing to do with the citizens who took people into their homes and took care of the people, had nothing to do with that at all. But Barney Frank decided to take the opportunity to talk about how we can't have tax cuts and that the government needs to be well-funded, the opportunity of the bombing. That's, you know, if you don't you just go up and, and find it, Barney Frank's up there speaking. He is just one of the most ignorant people who've ever been in the office of Congress. Um, he, was, he was one. Somebody else uh, wants to use the thing as an opportunity to get rid of guns. Of course, when the guns went off in the, uh, Connecticut, the, the, the guns were to blame. When the bombs went off in Boston, the bomber was to blame. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Why is that? Now, here's what they're trying to do. As soon as, they have an, as soon as they have an episode like this, we want to blame the guns and we want to blame the right wing. And how many times is it associated, whether it's right or wrong, and I know a lot of Christians who are not, don't consider themselves to be right wingers, but they want to bring them both in because if we, first of all, direct all the hate at the right wing, then whoever we bring in into that group will therefore be hated just as much. And they can just associate them in that. Uh, the president was uh, doing this back in his first campaign. He did it when he thought it was private, but it came out and uh, talked about the people in, West, in uh, central Pennsylvania as clinging to their Bibles and their guns. There's a lot of pressure to try and put this. The reason for it is they want to give people an excuse and a reason to hate Christians and to, to hate those who are on the, uh, the so-called right because the people on the so-called right stand up for the rights of uh, everyone to have what's in the Bill of Rights and so forth. And, uh, of course, they want to take that away.
And so that's why they are the enemy and why they need to be silenced and taken care of. It is a small part. I mean, what we are facing here is small compared to what Smyrna did. But it is, the, it is getting started. If it doesn't get stopped, it will continue to snowball. It has already snowballed more in the last year or two than I, have, I thought it would. And it's gotten a whole lot heavier. And it's going to continue to go until people start to, to stand up and say, we won't, we won't take this and, uh, and let people know about it. Um, the, the gun bill did get voted down today. Did you hear about that? I got a note from uh, uh, Rick Santorum to call senators. So I called both of mine and let them know. I don't know that they listened to it, but <laughs> called them anyway and let them know. Um, they are, they are not enforcing the laws as it is. Did, did you, I heard a stat. I wanted to pull this out for you, and I didn't pull it out. I apologize for that. I'll try and find it uh, for you if you want to see it. I'm not sure the first figure. The first figure is either 15,000 or 1,500. I am not positive which one it is. It could be either way. I heard it being stated, and I want to go out and find the article. I knew where to get it. I just didn't get there and, and get it. Uh, I think it was 15,000. I think that was the number of people who have broken the gun laws that are on the books right now. And the president's, um, uh, uh, the guy who, uh, the lawyer guy, what's his, what's his name? Attorney General. Attorney General, yeah. The president's attorney general has, I believe, 15,000 cases to try. Guess how many they have. This is just over the past year or year or two. I don't think it's much, it's not going back any longer than that. Take a guess how many that they have tried. Forty-four. Forty-four. If you are really trying to crack down on guns, why not enforce the laws that you have? And the reason you don't is because you want to keep the issue open. If you close the issue, no one talks about it anymore. There isn't any more problem. This is the same administration that sold guns illegally to the Mexican cartel who brought them into this country and killed Americans. Well, it's out there for them to know, but um, we're just not, uh, not making as much of a stink about it, I guess. Something. But this is the, this is the thing. We want to try and, and, and bring all these things in there. And just don't do it. We have no reason that to, to hate other... If people want to believe a left-wing uh, belief, that's fine. Believe that. But don't impose it on me. If someone wants to bring, believe a right-wing, Fine. But, you know, you don't have to impose it on other people. We can have discussions. It's America. We can have discussions. We can have discussions where we don't get mad and angry at each other. But it becomes a problem when everything wants to be imposed on everyone else. Well, over in here, they were strongly imposing this thing. And you were almost branded. And when word would get around, you were one of them Christians. And uh, no one would hire you. Now, can you imagine the pressure? You got your family. You had a job. Now you don't have a job. You can't get a new job because everybody has branded you with these, these things that they feel are, are true. They're not checking them out. They're not finding out if they're true or not. They just believe that they're true. And that's all there is to it. And that's um, it's not the way to go. That's the way it was, is in here. This is what they're facing. The Lord calls them a synagogue of Satan. This mentality that is going on in the Jews. He's not, a, he's not looking at the Gentiles right now. He's, he's talking about the Jews. Those who say they are Jews and are not. He's not focusing on the Gentiles. 
He's focused on those that are Jews, but are a synagogue of Satan. Satan has taken hold of them to have a hate come upon them, to hate other people that don't agree with them. Do we not see that going on today? Small compared to what Smyrna had, but it's going on today. You know, I just don't understand why we can't have discussions and be different. But uh, that's how we, we like to be. There are some parts of them. And, um, the, the assembly of the Lord is what it's, it's how the Jews refer to their meetings, but God referred to them as different. Revelations 2 and verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. <laughs> that is not comforting. How many of y'all know this is not comforting words right here? He says, do not fear any of the things you are. It's about to, it's about to happen, but don't fear. Hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather have a promise that comes and said, do not fear, you won't suffer. Isn't that better? Do not fear, it won't come upon you. Oh, that's better. He doesn't say that. This is the head of the church. This is Jesus. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, here's the thing. Is it the will of God that they suffer? No, because then the Jews would be doing the will of God. And he calls them. He, he said to them, these Jews who say they're Jews, but they're not, they're of the synagogue of Satan. That means they are not doing the will of God. They are doing, they're doing their own thing. I just heard someone, I mean, they meant well. They're, they're a Christian, and they meant well, and they had some kind of disease that took hold of them. And, um, oh, I'll tell you what, it's, oh, I know where I heard it. Rush Limbaugh does a, um, a telethon, a te he gets involved in a telethon every year just for the Leukemia Society, raises money for them, and one person called in. Christian, sounded like a great Christian guy. Sounded like a wonderful person. Called in. He said, I just got news two days ago. I had whatever leukemia it was. And he says, well, you know, whatever. The, the will of God will be done. I thought, dear Lord, where are you learning your stuff at? That's, that's not the will of God. We get this idea, though. The will of God is, no, it's not the will. Just because it happens does not make it the will of God. He's telling them right here, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Why are they suffering them? Why are they suffering? Because people are going after the kingdom of Satan. They are building the synagogue of Satan. And he says they're coming after you. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Not God. It's not the will of God. Stuff happens on this earth to his children that God does not want. That's just something we have to understand. That's the way God set it up. Yeah, but he could change it. Yes, but he said he would not. <laughs> we have to... You got to go with what the board says, not just what human reasoning goes on with. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. The devil, not even people. The devil. Some of these folks are so caught up in the devil's plan that it's just like him doing it. And he's using them. He can just say something and they just go out there and they do it. Now, all this time, he's been pointing at the Jews, not the Gentiles. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Indeed, the devil's about, it's coming. He's, he's writing this letter. They're reading this letter. <laughs> he's coming for you now. He is coming over. He's coming for you right now. He's about to do it. 
that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Not, not 10 years. 10 days. That means it's coming. He better get that letter over to him pretty fast. Because they don't have a whole lot of time. 10 days. You will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. What he is basically telling them is this. You're going to be thrown in prison and you are going to suffer all kinds of things for 10 days and after that you'll die. But don't worry about it. Stay faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Isn't that what he's saying? Well, could God, could God stop it? <laughs> but he's not going <laughs> to. He's, he's just warning them. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, I've got this, uh, this note down on the crown of life. There are three crowns that they could have in mind during this time. Three crowns. Uh, one is the Olympic crown. This is the uh, crown given to the winner of a game. It is generally a monetary reward. It is the Olympic crown. If you win an Olympic game, you got the Olympic crown, but money came with it. Money, prestige, honor, all that sort of stuff came with the Olympic crown because you competed and you won. That's one crown that was around during those days. Second crown would be a banquet crown. The banquet crown was worn by the honored guest at someone else's table. Someone else would throw a banquet. They would, they would invite someone of honor. And as this person came to their banquet, they would give them this banquet crown and they were the honored guest of the banquet. Here's number three, the worship crown. A crown was placed on the head of those who would go into a pagan temple to worship. These are the three types of crowns that were, that were given. When God speaks to them in this language of crown, when he says, I will give you the crown of life, we think of crowns as we are today, but he is speaking to the people of this day. When he speaks to them as being a crown, they're thinking first off Olympic, which means money. I am poor right now. I am dirt poor. But I'm going to have a great reward on the other side. Number two, I'm going to be the guest of honor at a banquet. Is there not going to be a banquet in heaven? Yeah. And a worship crown, a crown placed on the head of those who go into a pagan temple to worship. When they come into the place of worship of God the Father, they will have a crown placed on their head to come in and to worship. One of those th three things, or all three of those things, are in mind when he speaks to them of a crown. We're not just talking about something that's gold and looks nice and has a monetary value in and of itself. It, it carries on some other things uh, with them. Do not fear any of the things which you are about to suffer. Just knowing that you're going to suffer is sometimes enough to keep... I mean, just think of going to the dentist. When you go to the dentist, what's going to happen? There's going to be some suffering. I don't care what they do. They just clean your teeth. There's some suffering going on, you know. <laughs> Anything they do in your mouth, it just, oh, it's just... And if they're drilling or they're... It's, you know, there's suffering going on with dental. We so much so the dentists, they say, are the loneliest people around. Oh, you're a dentist? Oh, that's great. You know, that's in, and no, nobody wants to be their friend. <laughs> They're dentist. Mm. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. So that's just like, you know, if you're going into a dentist office and somebody's bringing you along and taking you into the dentist. Now, look, he's going to drill into your tooth. You're going to hear all kinds of noise and feel all kinds of stuff spraying all over. But don't fear. <laughs> now, multiply a dentist office by 100 or 1,000. And you're going to see what these kind of things are, were do. I had some pictures that I found of some of the uh, uh, dungeons that they would be put in in these, these areas. 
And I'll tell you what, they were, they were something. They were something else. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful, not to the end. Be faithful unto death, which means I'm expecting you to die. I'm expecting after ten days, you're going to be dead. That's going to be ten days of doing nothing but bringing you to the point of death. Spread out over ten days. That can put fear in people, can it? I mean, it's a whole lot different if somebody just comes up and shoots you and you're dead. But spread it out over ten days. Hmm. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown. He's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm, no, I'm not delegating this one. I'm going to come up to you, and I am going to present to you a crown of life. So while you were there going through this for ten days, I want you to picture this. The riches that you have in heaven. The glory that awaits you. And that I am going to be presenting you with the crown of life. You hang on to that. That'll get you through. Smyrna. The persecuted church. Now, remember who, remember who the letter was written to? The, the, the leader of the church. I pulled out of Fox's books, Book of Martyrs. A story, how much time do we have on this thing? A story of one of the pastors, one of the bishops of Smyrna, Polycarp. He was hiding out because they were coming for him. And he was kind of hiding. He went over to one farm and he was just over there praying for the people who were persecuting them. And uh, a word got around that where he was. And, and so he moved over to another one. And they, they got one of his friends and they tortured him until he told him where he was. And then people tried to say, Polycarp, you need to move. Come on, let's move to another spot. He, he didn't go. He says, no, we're just going to stay right here. So they, uh, they went on down, and they got him. And so they brought him on in. Let me pick up where, we, where I wanted to, to start in this story. In addition to these things, the narrative concerning him contains the following account. But when at length he had brought his, his prayer to an end, after remembering all that had ever come into contact with him, small and great, famous and obscure, and the whole Catholic Church throughout the world, the hour of departure becoming, being come, they put him upon an ass and brought him to the city, it being a great Sabbath. And he was met by Herod, the captain of the police, and by his father, Nesetes. Uh, who took him into the carriage and sitting beside him endeavored to persuade him saying for what harm is there in saying Lord Caesar and sacrificing and saving your life he at first did not answer but when they persisted he said I am not going to do what you advise me and when they failed to persuade him they uttered dreadful words and thrust him down with violence so that as he descended from the carriage he lacerated his shin but without turning around he went on his way promptly and rapidly as if nothing had happened to him and he was taken to the stadium. But there was such a tumult in the stadium that not many heard a voice from heaven which came to Polycarp as he was entering the place. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And no one saw the speaker, 
but many of our people heard the voice. And when he was led forward, there was a great tumult as they heard that Polycarp was taken. Finally, when he came up, the proconsul asked if he were Polycarp, and when he confessed that he was, he endeavored to persuade him to deny, saying, Have regard for thine age and other, thing, other like things, which, is, which it is their custom to say. Swear by the genius of Caesar, repent and say away with the atheists. The Christians were called atheists. You know why they call the Christians atheists? Is that? Oh, that was one reason there. But if you walked into the, the house of a pagan, the thing that you would see all around their house was statues of their gods. If you walked into the house of a Christian, you saw none. There were no statues to their gods. And so they got the notion that Christians were atheists, that they had no God, because if you walked into their house, there was no God. Isn't that odd? So they were called atheists. When they say away with the atheists, the atheists, they mean away with the Christians. But Polycarp, looking with dignified countenance upon the whole crowd that was gathered in the stadium, waved his hand to them and groaned and raised his eyes toward heaven, saying, Away with the atheist. But when the magistrate pressed him and said, Swear, and I will release thee, revile Christ, Polycarp said, Fourscore and six years have I been serving him, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? But when he again persisted and said, Swear by the genius of Caesar, Polycarp replied, If thou vainly supposed that I will swear by the genius of Caesar, as thou sayest, feign to be ignorant who I am. Hear plainly, I am a Christian. But if thou desirest to learn the doctrine of Christianity, assign a day and hear. The proconsul said, Persuade the people. But Polycarp said, As for thee, I thought thee worthy of an explanation. For we have been taught to render to princes and authorities ordained by God the honor that is due, so long as it does not injure us. But as for these, I do not esteem them the proper persons to whom to make my defense. But the proconsul said, I have wild beasts. I will throw thee to them unless thou repent. But he said, Call them for repentance from better to worse is a change we cannot make. But it is a noble thing to turn from wickedness to righteousness. But he again said to him, If thou despisest the wild beast, I will cause thee to, to be consumed by fire unless thou repent. But Polycarp said, thou, thou threatenest a fire which burneth for an hour, and after a little is quenched. For thou knowest not the fire of the judgment and of eternal punishment which is reserved for the impious. But why dost thou delay? Do what thou wilt. Saying these and other words besides, he was filled with courage and joy, and his face was suffused with grace, so that not only was he not terrified, <laughs> be not afraid, and dismayed by the words that were spoken to him, but on the contrary, the proconsul was amazed and sent his herald to proclaim three times in the midst of the stadium, Polycarp hath confessed that he is a Christian. And when this was proclaimed by the herald, the whole multitude, both of the Gentiles and of the Jews who dwelt in Smyrna, cried out with the ungovernable wrath of, with a great shout, This is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the overthrower of our gods, who teacheth many not to sacrifice nor to worship. 
These are Polycarp's last words as recorded as follows. Father, of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the knowledge of thee, the God of angels and the powers and of the whole creation and of the entire race of the, of the righteous who live in thy presence, I bless thee that thou hast deemed me worthy of this day and hour that I may receive a portion in the number of the martyrs in the cup of Christ in the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and of body. In the immortality of the Holy Spirit among these may I be received before thee this day in a rich and acceptable sacrifice as thou, the faithful and true God, best beforehand prepared and revealed and hast fulfilled. Wherefore, I praise thee also for everything. I bless thee. I glorify thee through the eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, the beloved Son, through whom with him and the Holy Spirit be glory unto thee, both now and for the ages to come. Amen. And they burned Polycarp. They dipped him in oil or in, in pitch tar and they would put the people up on a stake and they would nail them to the stake and then they would set the tar on fire and then they would burn and they would be watched by all the people in the stadium and both Jews and Gentiles and they would cheer as they would kill these Christians in, in this way. This was a letter that was written to the church at Smyrna who were undergoing persecutions such as what Polycarp had gone through. And I imagine that they took heart to that and that they endured. The thing that we have to, to look at is to make sure that with all the things that go on in the news media, with all the things that go on in the political circles, with all the things that are out there, uh, that first off, we don't believe anything that the news media tells us because the news media are liars. They have an agenda. And their, des their desire is not to bring the truth. You should not bring them into your home. You should not listen to anything they have to say because they will taint you. No matter how much you try and guard against it, they will taint you. It's one of those reasons why I told you so many times. Keep them out of your home. They are what Jude talked about as far as teachers that the church would be corrupted by. Don't let them corrupt you. People in this country want people to be segregated by race, by religion, by money, by where they live, by anything that they can do. And that's not what we're about. We have a bunch of differences about us all. But those differences can be enjoyed. They don't ever have to be a problem. We can be fans of different sports teams. We can be born of different races. We can come from different countries. We can have different favorite foods and all come together and still enjoy each other. It isn't a problem. But when people are out there and they want to stir us up against each other, you make sure. Don't give in to the things that they try and do. You love other people. Whether the, what, whatever group they try and fall into, you love other people. Enjoy them. There are some people who are just not going to be enjoyed and we can just walk away. We just don't. I don't have to hate them. I don't have to say all manner of evil things about them. I can just walk away. We just smile and do what we can to be peaceable. Word of God talks about us being peaceable. This is what we need to do. We don't all have to come in agreement about all things, but we can still have a harmony. Don't let the people of this world 
drive wedges between you and any other group. Where we can't win them if there's a division, if there's a wedge between us. They're going to say all manner of evil against us. They're going to put us in the categories. We've only seen the, 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 the tip of it, but it's going to be coming even more. They're going to put us in the categories, and they're going to try and pressure us to do things against the Word of God, to believe things that are not in the Word of God, and to go in directions we shouldn't be going. We'll have other Christians out there that will be doing the same thing. We've got a lot of people out there that go by the name Reverend, that do nothing but stir people up to hate. Al Sharpton and this coat, I can't remember, was uh, the guy who he's always pounding around with? Probably him, yeah. Uh, they, they go by the name Reverend, but they do nothing but stir up hate with people. That is not what we are to be about. So make sure you stand on guard against those kind of things. Don't let them come in. But be prepared, because people are going to believe lies about you. They're going to believe all manner of evil, as the Word of God has put it, about you. They don't, they're not going to have any evidence, but they don't need any. Just as in just this is the case with the Boston Marathon and the bomb. We don't need any evidence to throw out any accusation that we want to. Chris Matthews, within the hour of the bomb, was talking about the right wing having done it. Now, he's a nut. I understand that. He's, he's, a, he's a person who's shown himself not to be factual. But people are going are to stir some things up about you. People are going to believe things about you without any evidence. Just understand this. Just like the Church of Smyrna, Christians have gone through this before. And even if the enemy is able to get people to bring all manner of evil against you to where you endure until the end is death, you hang on. Because what's on the end of the other side is fantastic. And the people who would kill you make it even better for you. They make it even better. Father, we thank you for the encouragement we can ha have. We're not quite in the day that folks in Smyrna were. We don't face the rulers that they faced, the hate, the games, the murders that they did. We can see that certainly our country is going in a direction of that, as is the world. But we're nowhere near it. But as bad as it is, we know our God is greater. It can get a whole lot worse, and it still won't be as great as our God. We thank you for the love of God that's in our heart that will not be silenced by the things that are said about us, by the groups that they try and put us in with, by the hate that they try to associate with us. We will continue to love and to care for those and to win all who would listen. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of love. The gospel that, hey, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to burn in the lake of fire. You can go on into heaven. We want to share that message with as many as we can. So, Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. Help us to view the persecution that we face in light of what has happened in the world. And to realize it's not that bad. And the jar of God is always greater. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.